Welcome to the Valeocon podcast series. We thought we used the opportunity to really reflect on some of the insights we gathered over the podcast. Yeah, I like the idea. I think we heard different topics with 12 different colleagues and clients we talked to. From your perspective, what would you say were the key themes that we learned about? Well, I mean, one is that there's obviously, I think, two major forces that drive change in the industry. I think one is, and that John Glasspool talked about it quite well, is the fundamental shift towards value, right? Mm -hmm. It's from pricing to value, and you see that reflected in the discussions these days here in the U.S., where people look at escalating prices. And so there's pushback, right? And I think really the only solution that the industry has is to really fundamentally realign towards value. I think the second major force that obviously everybody talks about is digital and really, you know, how technology is changing how work gets done fundamentally. Yeah, and I think there we had some good insights from... Bill Fleming, we talked about the digital marketing capabilities. We looked at it more from an analytics perspective with Chris Sellen and Christopher Burke around the analytics capabilities and data operations or DevOps. Yeah, I think one is definitely technology, I think, makes it, there's more and more data out there. And so I think it really requires the pharma industry to increase the capability in handling this from a data operations perspective and also from the internal capabilities to really just process this. Right? Yeah. So I think that has certainly evolved, especially if you go into areas like where historically you actually didn't have a lot of data, right? If you go so into rare diseases or specialties that was historically not covered by data, now you can get a lot more data, but it really then also requires a different level of sophistication in processing it. Yeah, right? I thought what was interesting there was the one aspect more from a speed to information. Mm -hmm. So I think really, if you look back 10 years, how long would it, firstly 10 years ago, Maybe only 10% of the data that we have today was actually available, but then also given technology and analytics methods was also much harder to gain those insights. Today, you almost expect real-time insights from data and computing technology surely has enabled that to have those at much higher speed. And then I think the other element that I took from it is really the capabilities that you need to process and generate this insight. So there's a heavy analytics data scientist capability and that also Chris Salon talked about, but then there's also much higher need to truly link that to business outcomes and business questions, right? So, and I think that the translation from the question that the business have or the many questions businesses have and how that can then be answered real time through data and then how do you generate insights? That's also, I think, a challenge that many companies today have to manage. Yeah, and I think actually in a way, I think historically it was probably more that, you know, the salespeople asked the question and then the sales ops group tried to right. find an answer. And nowadays, I think it somewhat seems that actually there's also, I think, a lot of insights really being generated out of the sales and marketing operations group right, yeah. based on the capabilities that they build up. Yeah. So they're not actually answering a specific question asked by the brand, right. Right? but they might come actually with some original insights. Yeah. Right? The other pieces, I think you see that general acceleration of things where maybe in the past people would go through like a Salesforce alignment exercise maybe every two years, right? And, and nowadays, I think it's pretty much a continuous process. So it's kind of like a trimester on a monthly basis, right? And uh, I think that goes into alignment. I think that goes into targeting. So I think it requires a much higher level of organizational agility mm -hmm. to really being able to execute quickly on yeah. that. Yeah, I think the need for operating models that actually are agile and flexible that can change quickly as technology changes, as the needs from the business changes, I think that's an imperative to have 
these days. And that also is the question, then how do you bring the different groups from analytics to brand to sometimes IT, sometimes more compliance side quickly together so that you generate those insights and, and can also make use of them. Yeah, I think that's really also key, I think, what Jeff Zeffenhaus was talking about, right? The importance of continuous improvement right? yeah. and evolution of that model. And it's quite interesting, right? I mean, the technology is oftentimes quite static, right? So people don't really re-architect the systems every two months. But I think that the pressure is really then on the people and on the processes to develop the flexibility to respond to different business needs. Right. right. So I think you see people like Jeff investing in right, process improvement, continuous improvement. And you see, you know, what we saw from the Chris Sellen discussion, that people also invest in their organization and the capabilities that are required to execute on that. Yeah, and I think the interesting aspect was, for me, as I said, it's not just the analytics capabilities, the data skills, but you have to combine that with business acumen and with really the also almost like consultative skills to be a good partner to your business and help translate the questions into insights. I thought the other element there was interesting to look at it more also from different business needs, depending on are you a mass market product, is it more rare disease and see that as a continuum where analytics and data in general is interesting to say like for mass market is really helping sales reps to generate those insights have them at the fingertip and then help them define their next best action with the primary care physicians with the doctor you interact with versus for rare disease it's much more about finding the patient and supporting with data to see where are those patients and, right. and, and how can we get access to them right i think the other interesting thing that i think came up in a couple of these podcasts actually is the multi-channel aspect of this. So on the one side, really just multi-channel marketing and Bill Fleming, I think, gave really a good overview of why multi-channel marketing is so important, like limited access to physicians is one, and how to approach that topic and get organized for it, right? And also what capabilities to have in-house versus what can you like buy through an agency, right? right. But I think we also got at the topic in, in the podcast that looked at Salesforce effectiveness. I think, for example, what struck me is in the discussion with Jeff Hoover from GE Medical was that his point that today the customer has a lot of information already available to them before the rep even shows up. Mm -hmm. So I think the orchestration of all these things is really important. Right? And I think Chris Gish in his podcast, I think, talked about the importance of having really the rep as the orchestrator, right? because being closer to the customer. Now, that might be a model that's not relevant in every market. In some areas, we've seen it in other conversations, right, multi-channel marketing around the world. In some countries, right, it's simply based on geography and how spread out people are and how difficult it is to reach them, whatever it takes, the Chilean mountains. I think in, in a lot of these places, again, like the multi-channel approach is pretty interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. No, well, what I think is interesting, as you said, firstly, there's a decline in access to healthcare providers, and thus you really want to make sure that you find other ways beyond the Salesforce to get access to that. So to secure business, but maybe even to find other business. Secondly, there are healthcare providers out there that, that sales reps have never visited or would have never visited. So I think to find those and mm -hmm. then target them specifically through multi-channel marketing is an immediate upside that you can take. Plus right. the cost, right? Plus I mean, the cost, scales, exactly. Right? Yeah, it scales. I mean, the first email costs maybe 15, right? right. 
15 million dollars, right? The second email costs nothing. Yeah. Right? So I think there's the scalability of that. I think that's very interesting. I think that's also really such a rapidly evolving, changing landscape. I think it's difficult for people to kind of say, okay, here's like the be all end all of multi channel marketing. I think that's going to be a construction zone for years to come oh, uh, as, as we're learning about like how. Right, customers like to consume information. Mm -hmm. right? What's the right mix of channels? Yeah. What works? Yeah. You mentioned next best action. I think some of these algorithms and insights really still need to be developed. Yeah, it's like the Amazon, right? So you look at the recommendations you get, and some make sense, right? And some are really way so off much, from, so from what you want to buy next. But that's just continuous learning and continuous improvement to really get to even better insights. Yeah. I think the other thing, though, that also came out in the podcast is that there is, besides all the excitement about like, digital and data and technology and what's possible, I think there's also families, I think, got to pay attention to the fundamentals, right? How do the different functions work well together, right? Which is critical to really enable multi-channel marketing, for example. Yeah. Or how do we effectively work in a matrix environment where we have some centralized capabilities and some, you know, maybe more market-aligned Right, organizations like franchises and how do we actually make sure that that those those organizations work well together yeah right. no I thought that was interesting when discussion was Eva Walder right around you have the product focus organization and that's clearly where you want to be close to the customer and then obviously there's a big need to still have the product expertise when you talk to your customers at the same time you also want to be close from a geography perspective and How do you manage that product versus geography matrix, right? And how do you make the best out of it so that you can serve your customers with product expertise, but you're also close to them with the right people? Yeah, I think the key word there, again, comes back to the topic of agility, mm -hmm. right? I think you need to have agility, I think, obviously has three dimensions, right? I mean, one is what people focus on is the flexibility, being able to quickly realign to different market needs and so forth. But I think the other two aspects of agility that I think people oftentimes overlook is one, stability, mm -hmm. really having sort of robust operating mechanisms that support it. And just take an example, how easy it is for us to process data and right, take raw data in and turn it into insights. And I think there's also a little bit the strength aspect, right? How strong are these capabilities that we actually have? How strong do they need to be? Do we need to have really strong analytical skills? Right? Do we need to have really strong multi-channel marketing skills? And kind of where are areas where we maybe don't need to be so strong, yeah. right? where we can leverage renders. So I think those three aspects of agility, I think, sort of came out in all the different podcasts. Right. Because there's also clearly the aspect of how fast can you as a medium large pharma company innovate versus how fast can actually some of your vendors innovate right from a technology and data perspective and i think beyond the question of what insights and capabilities are strategic and maybe therefore you want to have them in-house there's also always a question of how fast can you still continuously improve them and innovate them and then and i think in that sense the, the idea of an operating model that is agile and that allows you to quickly change between internal capabilities and using of third-party vendors that innovate quicker yeah. is a big, big value. Yeah, I think this incremental approach is key. You got to start somewhere. So I think it goes back to 
working directionally getting better versus trying to hope for. We're going to find one solution, one design that's going to solve all our problems for the next five years. I think that's also, it's really evolving. I mean, what John Glasper was talking about, like the focus on value. Well, we don't actually have those frameworks defined how we're going to determine value, right? And they're going to change because regulatory and government bodies around the world are going to evolve in their perspective on it. So we're going to constantly, I think, have to adjust as our external stakeholders change. And so I think hoping for big design, one big change and transformation to accomplish that, I think, is honestly misguided, which I think also then talks about that this sort of the agility really needs to be part of everybody that works in a commercial space, right? Yeah. So people need to have the mental agility to let old ways of working go, the willingness and eagerness to learn new things and to try and, and practice, right, and pilot and maybe end up the solutions that are maybe not the most perfect, but good enough to demonstrate where the opportunities are. Yeah. Plus, I think the willingness to benchmark outside your industry, because I think if you just compare yourself with other pharmaceutical businesses, you probably find some that are more advanced than you, surely also some that are less advanced. But I think if you really want to see where you need to be in five to ten years, you should look at the Netflixes, the Amazons, and how they use data You may want to look at firms who run different types of supply chain. You may want to look at firms who on the consumer side, how they do marketing. I think that gives you at least a clearer vision and makes it less incremental. Maybe the steps to improve are still incremental, but I think where you want to be, I sense, shouldn't be compared to within industry. Well, it also might make things a lot more depressing because you realize <laughs> how far away you are, are sure. from an Amazon or Netflix. Sure. Right? Not just based on capability, but also based on legal requirements and issues. I think, quite frankly, for life sciences and maybe biopharm in, in general, the key really has to be the focus on the customer. Mm -hmm. I think what Don Apposeja was talking about, truly understanding the customer experience at a very specific level, I think is really key. If this becomes just abstract about data and digital without any kind of use case. It's a non-value discussion, I think yeah. you're saying. What is the patient experience? What is the healthcare provider experience, right? And where do we see opportunities to make that journey better, to make it a better experience? And then I think that helps us understand what capabilities we need to build. Mm -hmm. I would that's imagine true. that that's a much more pragmatic approach. And I think also keeps people focused on the market versus the technology. True. The technology and the data and the marketing tricks, so all that's still an enabler. Right? Yeah, I think we heard in the discussion with Christy Hansen-Anka on virtual and augmented reality. I think that's still at this stage right now where people look at this and say, oh, that's, you know, it's technology. It's cool, but we don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Or we maybe can do one pilot, but it's not part and partial of how we work. But if you think about this from a use case perspective, and for example, your audience are surgeons, you're a medical device company, I think it becomes very evident as like where this technology can be used to provide real-time training or reinforcement of training that was delivered as a surgeon prepares for the procedure. Similar to, I think, what Jeff Hoover was talking about from a learning perspective relative to Salesforce effectiveness. I think it's not so much about having a big learning program, it's about these enable micro-learning just in time, just as needed to address specific gaps or opportunities yeah. that are faces. So the more, I think, we can get to use cases and tie it to like an external point of view, stakeholder, I think the better off we're going to mm -hmm. be. I think it's, in the end, it's a push and a pull, right? Because from a customer perspective, you clearly want to create that experience. But if you don't know about technologies and data and what's possible and the reality, 
then you may also not at all have the idea how you increase the patient uh, physician's experience. So I think you need those experts in your organization that can push your thinking and say like, look, we have this cool AR technology, this is what you can do with it. But you also need still the people who are close to the customer, understand their journey, close to the physicians, the patients, understand their journeys and then say what are the insights we generate and how can that translate into new ways of engaging. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that maybe it's also a topic around a lot of these technologies already here, gonna stay here, gonna evolve further. So I think companies have to start utilizing those technologies and it might not be perfect. I think that might be the bigger topic, mm -hmm. yeah. right? It's like, how do you build a business case to your management team where you say, quite frankly, this might not work or what we're gonna work on in the first year is not gonna scale across all brands immediately, yeah. right? Yeah. It's gonna be very narrow. It's not gonna be highly automated. It might require an investment in people, whether it's training or whether it's bringing in, to your point, expertise that we don't have. And I think that just culture is very hard for many organizations to do, yeah. right? I think it's always easier to justify uh, buying a piece of software on some productivity ground versus really saying, you know, we're gonna do it on a manual basis to build the proof of concept and then automate it later on once we know what we need. Which also requires, as you said earlier, a much more agile way of working, so much more iterative, much more rapid prototyping, do something. Almost ask the question with new technologies, with data, what can we do, what can we try in 30 days, what tangible minimum viable product can we get in people's hand for feedback and then we do the next iteration, 60 days and the next iteration, 90 days, rather yeah. than trying to collect long requirements lists. I think that was one of Chris Burke's key points that the way in order to go to get to speed and in order to get to rapid innovation, you have to work more iteratively. Yeah, I think that's a key challenge because realistically, if you look at it, there are two cycles in a year. I think there's the first half of the year where people have the objectives from last year and the budget and they start doing things. And then there's the summer gap, but then the second half of the year, well, that's where we already start the new budgeting process again. So I think a lot of the internal business processes are just not aligned with a more agile way of working. If you need to have your budget, your idea in by June to be able to work on it, maybe next January, I think that's very, very difficult. I think it's very difficult in that context to have a real agile way of working. It is, it is, yeah. And I think that's where other industries are much quicker than pharmaceutical business still. It still is. Yeah. Today. Yeah, I think if that was the case, then Apple would be selling Walkmans today, right? <laughs> um, versus iPhone Xs. Good. So I think that was maybe like a quick recap on what we learned right, yeah. from the first 12 episodes of the podcast series. We'll be taking a break from the specific commercial excellence podcast but we will certainly pursue the topic of how to handle and deal with change in the biopharma space and how to increase organizational agility, either in additional podcasts or through other topics. So please stay tuned to the Valeocon channel.